The text for the sermon this morning is taken from 1 Kings 18, beginning at verse 20, and it will be read through, during the sermon. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So before I begin reading this, we've got to go through a little bit of background. We've got to go back to the last couple weeks. The last few weeks, we have been reading about a famine that is going on in the land of Israel. That Elijah had given the prediction that there would be no rain for a very, very long time. And the rivers and the streams and the lakes would all dry up. And there would be no water. And when there would be no water, there would be no food. And when there would be no food, people would begin to suffer and die. And the reason this was happening was because of the rebelliousness of the people of Israel. He told this to the king Ahab. However, our Lord provided for Elijah. He sent Elijah to the brook. He took a, sent him to a brook, and there he was cared for. The ravens would come at night, bringing him bread and meat to feed on. And he was sitting there near the brook, the brook, and he was able to drink off of it until it was all empty. And after that was dried up, God sent him to a widow and her son. And there he provided for Elijah and the widow and the child. And now the time has come that Elijah has been told by God, it is your time to go confront Ahab. After three years without rain, think about that. We, have, we, get fr- we get worried when we go a month without rain, which is pretty long. But imagine three years without rain. Many of us would be, we would all be in big, big trouble. And so that is the state of the world. And Elijah is being sent to Ahab to confront him. And the thing is, though, is Ahab does not like Elijah very much because Elijah gave this prediction that this would happen. And guess whose fault it is? It's Elijah's fault from the the eyes of Ahab. And so he has been hunting down Elijah. He's been going to kingdom and kingdom, nation after nation, saying, Do you have Elijah? Do you have him? And forcing these people to swear under oath that they don't have him. Because Ahab is determined to kill Elijah. He's already killed several prophets and and out of his anger and revenge against Elijah. But now Elijah is making that journey to confront that very man who has been hunting him down. And before Elijah gets there, he's confronted, he meets up with Obadiah, who is another prophet. If that name sounds familiar, he did write a book of the Old Testament. And he tells Obadiah to let Ahab know that Elijah, that Elijah is coming. At which Obadiah is terrified, because he knows that the, he is afraid that the minute he goes to Ahab and says, I found Elijah, go visit him. He believes Ahab's going to do very, that, that very minute, kill Obadiah. Because he did not kill Elijah. 
And so Elijah eventually does meet up with Ahab. And he he challenges Ahab, specifically challenging Ahab's devotion to Baal and other gods, in particular Baal. Now I'm going to make a note as I begin to read through this text. Now, I've gone back to saying Lord usually in our readings. But here I'm going to actually I'm going to use Yahweh. And the reason is is because in this text, actually in chapter 18, there are actually four different lords. There is Lord Elijah, there's the Lord that's called Ahab, and the name Baal literally means Lord. And so what this is is a, it's kind of basically to help with the narrative. I'm going to use the name of Yahweh. And because, like I said, it actually helps with the text a little bit. So it says, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of Yahweh. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you will call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. For you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. And no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. Notice, just kind of a little note here at this point. I've heard some people use this text to explain why it's a good idea to have Christians and Muslims worship in the same service. They say, hey, look, Elijah is worshiping with the prophets of Baal. And you read that line and you realize it's not a good example. Because right here, what does he say about Baal? He says that Baal is, the reason Baal might not be answering is because he's in the bathroom. So, (laughs) he's completely mocking their, their faith. So the, the only way this works is if we were to do a, a worship service with Muslims and we were able to mock Allah. People probably wouldn't go for that. And so, but that is what Elijah is doing. He is mocking their gods. 
So yeah, it's saying he's he's relieving himself, which that's even tame compared to what the Greek said, what the Hebrew says, and or maybe he's fallen asleep. He's tired. He just can't help it. Can't help you. So, if you ever want to see mockery in the Bible or people getting sarcastic, there's your moment of sarcasm. And they cried, and they cried aloud and cut themselves. Or he is. Re- or allowed and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of Yahweh that had been thrown down. Elijah took two twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of Yahweh came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of Yahweh, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Notice how significant that is. For one, throwing water on the, on the, you know, on the bowl, because usually if there's water, it's not easy to start a fire. Try, you know, go, go grill and dump, what is it, a total of 12 jugs of water on your grill and try to gr- start grilling. How good are you going to do with that? As the, even if you have charcoal, the charcoal's just floating around there. Not going to work very well. So one, for one, that's showing how impressive what he's about to do is going to be. But also, it's a great act of faith. Remember, it has not rained for three years. And now he just dumped 12 jugs of water onto this, onto this altar, enough to fill the trench that is circling around it. An incredible act of faith because there's a very good chance that that is all the water they can find. And so at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Yahweh, answer me, that the people may know that you, O Yahweh, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of Yahweh fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, He is God. Yahweh, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, 
let none of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brick of Kishon and slaughtered them there. That's the text. And by the way, right after this, Ahab went back to his palace to eat and to drink. And guess what began to fall from the sky? Rain. So this text, what Elijah did is extremely gutsy. They want him dead. For him, because he is a follower of the one true God. And he's been proclaiming his prophecies for quite some time. He proclaimed the bad things that were to happen. They didn't listen to him. And because they didn't listen to him and it happened, it was Elijah's fault. And so he came to those people, stood before the 450 prophets, realizing that they could kill him. And then he wastes the last of their water, or it could be a waste if nothing happened. Takes a lot of courage, a lot of guts. And the thing is, is that courage and that guts is something that we could so learn from. In our culture, in this world, Christianity is, there is not a popular thing. Yes, 70-some-odd percent of the, of the United States is Christian, but the church attendance in the United States is in the 30% range, which, and some denominations are worse than others. And you read the words that people talk about Christianity. You watch the media, you watch television, you listen to the news, you have movies such as I don't know if any of you saw the movie. It was called, um, I think it was called The Kingsman. It was about a secret agents, British secret agents. In the movie, which for the most part was, I guess, pretty good, had some good comedy, good action in it. But there's one scene in the movie that was very troubling. And it was a scene where this person released a poison into a church that's kind of like a Westboro Baptist church type congregation, and this poison caused all the people in the church to become violent and aggressive and start killing one another. Now the reason why I mention that scene is because that scene is almost like pornography to some people. Because there are people that would love to see Christians slaughtering each other like that. There, are, there was a survey that was recently done by a professor at, I think it was North Carolina University, and he was surveying the attitudes of many people towards Christianity. And while most, there's many people that are not Christian and all that, but there were people that wrote dis responses that were just disturbing. There are people that said that Christians should start being rounded up into camps. That they should not be permitted to be judges, to be lawyers, to be police officers, to be politicians. That they should be sterilized and not allowed to have children. That we should just kill all the Christians. There are atheists and agnostics that have written those very responses. And then you have things like ISIS growing overseas and probably very likely in our own country. We just 
haven't seen it 100% yet. Although we do know that there are Americans that have left here to go join ISIS. In case you do not, if, so the, if you can't tell, Christianity is not popular. We can look at the, state, the case of Kim Davis and the clerk in Kentucky. We could debate whether or not she did the right thing. There's some pretty good discussion on that issue. But that is just about whether or not she should have signed the, gay, the licenses for the gay and lesbian couples. But that is very small compared to the persecution that is happening in this world and could very well land in this country. And it probably will one day. And the thing is, will we stand up? And the thing is, is I'm not so certain. Think of the reasons that, the excuses that we come up with to not, to not worship, to not study our God's word. Think of the things that we get upset over that goes on in the church. Something as simple as one of the things that sometimes has come up is about service length. A service goes 10 minutes, may go a little bit longer than you'd like. And that is a reason to get really angry and upset about it. Now, if you're a child and you see a parent or grandparent doing that, what are you going to think about their God? What kind of a God can he be if, if an extra five to ten minutes makes you angry? He must not be much of a God. What are we going to do when there is a gun to your head saying, renounce him or die? We're willing to use five to ten minutes as a reason not to receive God's gifts. What are we going to do when a gun's up to our head? One's a lot more threatening than the other. You could go about your life easy if you just renounce him. And we cannot say that will never happen. Just about every nation that has ever had a tyrannical government believed it would never happen. Did you know that Adolf Hitler was elected? So was Benito Mussolini. Germany and Italy were democracies just like ours became before they had a fascist dictatorship. They voted it. They elected it. So we cannot be so naive to believe these things will never happen. Kids who are growing... One of the... Several weeks ago, back in July... I had a, we had a meeting with our youth group. And a few comments that came up kind of just bothered, bugged me a little bit from some, of our, from some of our youth. And when I was mentioning about coming, going to the National Youth Gathering to get funds, I was asking that they attend youth group and come to church. Because frankly, I would rat if... I would rather them never attend the youth gathering. I'd rather them come here than ever attend a youth gathering. It is far more important to be at the daily divine service. 
or the weekly divine service. Not daily, sorry. Now, many of our youth are very good about coming. But there are some that they say, what do you expect us to put in three put in that extra time to go to youth group or to do these things? And my thought was, first off, one, some of our youth don't realize that I put that time into them. You ever notice how many, how many sporting events I go to? And secondly, Jesus put 33 hours into the world for you. And thirdly, is what kind of a God is that? That we're not willing to give up only a few hours. I listen to some of the, pat, you, you think of the stereotypical Texas community. There are two gods in most Texas high schools. One, the number one god is football. Number two is the god of the Bible. And I've learned that you don't have, if you go over into our Dutch Reformed community areas, I'm listening to some of the pastors, guess who's god over there? You think as much as the church has an influence in those areas, I'm surprised by the struggles that those pastors have at keeping people going to, learn, going to Bible classes, going to church. Why? Because what is more important than church? Sports. That has become God. I have no problem with kids being in sports in high school. It's a wonderful thing. It's a great for building character. It's great for building team skills. But it does not replace our God. It does not replace learning, studying the Scriptures. That's why I want the Wednesday nights that we have. That's why we have YDOC, getting kids into the habit of studying God's Word. Which, by the way, this week we had a pretty nice attendance in spite of a really kind of a nasty rainstorm. That's why we study God's Word. We learn it. We learn it so that we, when we are in that Word, when we receive His sacrament, when we receive the Lord's Supper here about baptism, when we're, we make the habit growing up of studying God's Word, guess what? When a gun comes up to our head, one, we've already made the practice of making it a priority, and two, we already could look at, th we know things like Elijah. We know the stories of all the people that have stood up in the faith. We think of Moses. We think of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We think of, um, we think of Jonah. We think of Peter and Paul. You think of all these people that stood tall, confessed that Jesus was the one and only true God in the face of death. And yes, some of them did die. But we know that they are in eternity with Christ. Because when we are on our deathbed, do you know what's going to matter? It's not going to matter how much money we made. It's not going to matter how nice of a home we had. It's not going to matter how cute of a husband or wife we had. It's not going to matter 
how many sporting events we were in. It will not matter even how good our grades were. Granted, all those things are important and they have value. But what's going to matter the most is your faith with Christ. Because in a few minutes, you would see Him face to face. And we're never far from that possibility. In recent weeks, we learned that very much so. It can happen at any time. So study His Word. Be in it. Because His Word, His sacrament, gives strength. May it be so until He returns. In Jesus' name, Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.